Welcome to Your Cathedral Podcast, a podcast from the Cathedral Church of St. Luke and St. Paul in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information on our church, please visit yourcathedral.org. Will you please pray with me? Almighty God, today let your word be preached with boldness, heard with attentiveness, and obeyed with readiness that we may grow in likeness to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, y'all. For those who may not know me, my name is Hunter Myers. I'm the student ministry director here at the Cathedral Church, and it is such a joy to be with you here this Sunday. Now, our Sunday lectionary readings, the, the order of readings that are assigned for each Sunday of the year, some of them tee you up for a home run as a preacher. Two weeks ago, Pete had Deuteronomy 6, train up a child in the way they should go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Home run. Last week, Canon Patrick preached All Saints Sunday, Revelation 7, the multi-ethnic church of God worshiping Jesus around the throne room of heaven. Home run. This week's reading includes a passage titled, The Abomination of Desolation which is equal parts, heavy metal, album title, and a teaching of Jesus, it sounds like. And so there are scholars who, uh, this, is, this passage is a conundrum to them, so I'm not even going to begin to think that I have reached the depths of it. Some hold that Jesus was talking about a specific event in the life of Israel. Some thought that Jesus was pointing off to a further final event of great tribulation. And some scholars think that Jesus was doing both at the exact same time. However you tackle a passage like this, which I'm not going to attempt to do today, we would do well to remember just how often Jesus addresses painful realities. Part of what makes Jesus such a conundrum and even to some a stumbling block is that he refuses to fall into those neat categories of wise guru or doom and gloom preacher. His voice speaks to the most painful and harsh realities of our human life. The realities of sin and death, judgment, brokenness, the very powers of uh, spiritual forces in rebellion against God. And he speaks with the most confident and authoritative peace, security, and hope. Have you ever wondered how Jesus could look all these things dead in the eye and speak with such security? I don't know about y'all, how do you respond to a painful situation? I think people tend to fall into one of three default responses. The first response is numbing, the second is controlling, and the third is abandoning. Numbing, controlling, and abandoning. Some of us numb away the feelings of fear and pain and anxiety, and we can do this through distracting ourselves, we can do this through medication or entertainment or whatever your, uh, your vehicle of choice is to numb the pain. Some of us will double down and try to control the situation, to master it. We, we give 110%, we go and we trust that when we face it, we'll be able to handle it. And some of us exercise a point of privilege and say, I'm out. We abandon it. We cut off that situation, that friendship, and perhaps even a part of ourselves along in the process. And y'all, the funny thing about people, myself included, is we're, we're pretty creative. We'll do a mix and match thing to create some dysfunctional like soup that will uh, apply to most any situation. And the scary thing is that all those responses will ultimately not help us 
endure a hard situation. They will not offer a lasting security, and they will not prepare us, myself included, for life after we've made it through. We need a deeper security, a deeper peace, beyond numbing, beyond controlling, beyond abandoning a situation. We need the kind of peace and security that Jesus had. I want to make clear that the kind of pain and painful situations I am addressing today are the normal, I would say normal, everyday pains of a broken world, pains like a broken friendship, that sin you're still struggling with, the death of a loved one, job insecurity, a scary diagnosis, any of those things. Because not all numbing is bad. If you have a headache, please, Lord have mercy, take Tylenol. In fact, if you, have a, uh, if you feel like your schedule is out of control, use a calendar. That's not a bad way to control a little bit of your life. And also, there are some social expectations we should abandon. What I'm talking about today is that impulse within us that our hearts have to escape all kinds of pains at all costs. That's what I'm addressing today. And into a world of these painful realities, a psalm like Psalm 16 is a clear voice calling us to something more secure, more enduring, and more true. So, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 16, which can be found on page 453 of your Black Pew Bibles. And as you're turning there to page 453, we're, we are going to learn to listen to three distinct voices in our psalm today. The voice of Christ, the voice of, or sorry, the voice of David, the voice of Christ, and the voice of the church. So we'll begin by listening to David, the author of this psalm. David was the second king of a united Israel around the year 1000 BC. And David begins this psalm with a straightforward request. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David here is staking a claim on where he will find hope and peace and security. We don't know exactly what situation David may have been addressing at this moment, but whatever he was responding to, his path to security began and ended with his patient trust in God. And then continuing in verses three and four, we see David contrasting those who walk two different paths of preservation and peace. So continuing in verse three, as for the saints, or the righteous ones, the ones who trust in their, put their trust in the Lord, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. And then David contrasts a different path. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, nor take their names on my lips. Now, in David's world, people in the ancient Near East would offer blood offerings and other things in the names of other gods as a way of hedging their bets. Not sure what your crops are going to do? Offer to this god. Try that out. See if it works. And David here is staking a claim. In the face of a generally painful and uncertain world, David argues that hedging one's bets through false gods, not only will it not help, it will actually multiply one's problems. And now we come to the heart here, after this contrast, verses 5 and 6. This is the heart of this psalm. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Finally, David speaks not just about what he's being preserved from, but what he is being preserved for. 
In David's eyes, what God has for him is so exceedingly better than any other path that, uh, or security that the world could offer. A beautiful inheritance is what David wants to be preserved for. But David also understands that listening to the voice of God is an enduring and ongoing work. And we see this in verses 7 and 8 when he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. David's path through a painful world with suffering towards a beautiful inheritance requires a constant listening, reinterpreting, and dwelling in the trust of God. And then finally, to close out the psalm, David turns his gaze towards this ultimate joy and security in verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Notice here that all of David is affected. The heart, the seat of his emotions, his soul, the, the spiritual core of who he is, and even his body, even his body dwells secure. How? Continues on in the next verse. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now you might be wondering, what's Sheol? What is David talking about there? Well, in their context, Sheol was this disembodied place where dead people went. The dwelling of the dead is sometimes called. They understood that a body would be buried in its tomb, but then where did the soul go? They call that place Sheol. David at this time didn't have a specific hope for an embodied life after death. In fact, that idea was not really present at all in the world David lived in. But David longed for a taste of that beautiful inheritance that God could give him before he took his final breath. Now, this may help us see at this point why the Sunday lectionary included Daniel 12. Because hundreds of years later, after a divided kingdom, after a conquered kingdom of Israel, in captivity, a prophet named Daniel receives this complicated and scary vision of the end of all things that's eerily similar to the abomination of desolation. But Daniel includes something in there that we need to listen to. He writes, but at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. All of a sudden in the story of the Bible, it's like a lightning bolt. It introduces this concept of a kind of embodied life after death, a kind of hope and preservation and security that conquers death itself. And it is here, at this moment, that we can begin to hear the voice of Christ in Psalm 16. Now you might be wondering, it's David. David wrote it. How can we hear the voice of Christ? Well, for Christians, it is a good default practice to read all of Scripture in light of Jesus. But if you're worried about that hermeneutic, don't worry. The Bible also interprets Psalm 16 in light of Jesus. We see that in the book of Acts. If, you're, if you would like to, you can turn to page 910 of your pew Bibles and see that in Acts chapter 2, in the Pentecost sermon, St. Peter quote Psalm 16 in light of Jesus. I'm going to read this whole thing for us because it is so vital. Beginning in the 23rd verse of Acts 2, Peter says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
For David says concerning him, and this is the part that will seem familiar to us. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter continues on interpreting what this means. He says, brothers, I, say, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to David that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that, we are all witnesses. All right, deep breath. I know that was a lot. All right. <laughs> there was a lot there. That's okay. I know that was a lot. But here is the nugget of what Peter invites us to see. Peter not only reinterprets Psalm 16 in light of Jesus' resurrection, he reinterprets Sheol, Hades, death, everything in light of Jesus' resurrection. Peter was saying, we can go to David's tomb right now. It's there. He's still in it. But if we went to Jesus' tomb right now, he's not. And that changes everything. Peter invites us to hear the voice of Christ in Psalm 16 as if it's saying to us, the grave did not hold me. And for those who listen to me, who follow my voice, it will not hold you either. That is the kind of peace and hope and security that Jesus brings. In fact, throughout the church, we affirm that at the end of all things, all people will be resurrected, bodies and all, either to perfect life in Christ or life apart from him. We say it every week in the creeds. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Because of Jesus, Christians believe in the resurrection of our bodies. Therefore, we cannot numb our bodies forever because we were made to endure even after death. Therefore, we cannot master our bodies on this side of resurrection because God has something better for us planned afterwards. And therefore, we cannot abandon this world because God in Christ will plans to resurrect and restore this world too. Christian, this is where we begin to hear the voice of the church in Psalm 16. As if David's words could be us saying, preserve us, O God, for in you we take refuge. We say to the Lord, you are our Lord. We have no good apart from you. We have a beautiful inheritance. So why don't Christians live like this all the time? Why don't I live like this is true all the time? Part of my job, I get to walk with the best middle and high school students in all of Charleston. If you disagree with me, that's okay, you're wrong. They are the best middle and high school students in all of Charleston. I love them to death. And something I love about walking, especially with middle school students, is that they get to experience human things for the very first time. Think about that. There was a first time that they learned what it means to be a good friend. There was a first time they experienced their first broken friendship, their first breakup. So if you're walking with a middle school student who has had their first breakup, it does seem like the end of the world. They've never experienced a world after a breakup. <laughs> it does seem like the end of the world to them. And you know what's funny? They don't have fully developed frontal lobes of their brains, but adults, we do this too. 
we do the exact same thing. There is a reason that every generation of the church thinks that the abomination of desolation is happening in their lifetime. Everything seems like it's the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. Yeah, there's been global pandemics, but not one that we've been through. We do the exact same thing. And that is why we run to these false securities, these false saviors. We run to the false savior of numbing as if that will remove our pain and suffering. We run to the false savior of control as if we can master our pain and suffering. And we run to the false savior of abandoning as if that part of our life or our world does not matter. And if David, the psalmist, is right, not only do they defer our pain, they multiply our pains in the process. But we follow a Jesus who looked in the face of the most despicable and horrific pain and suffering and evil that this world could offer. And he spoke with peace the words, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, his resurrection is the source of our ultimate and abiding security. His resurrection will preserve us in the uncertainty of pain and suffering. And one day when each of us does take our final breath, his resurrection, even then, will not abandon you. So that's, that's a lot of up here. That's a lot of up here. Let's take a breath. Let's bring it down here and think, how can we live in light of this resurrection psalm? And the first thing I think we have to do is to expect pain and suffering in the world. Like any good relationship, clarifying expectation goes a long way of mitigating issues. We can expect that. It will happen, and you're not alone in it. I pray that we are the kind of church when you endure suffering or pain, we walk with you. We don't let you go through that alone. To have compassion in a literal sense means to suffer with. Lord, let that be us. You're not alone in that. And we can also expect that the Spirit of God will meet you where you really are not where you'd rather be. Second, we need to be self-aware of those idols, those, self, uh, those false reliances that we run to. Are you a numbing person? Are you a controlling person? Are you an abandonment person? Or like me, do you like creating a dysfunctional Frankenstein monster? Like that's my default response, trying it out and seeing which works best. But I can also speak to the goodness of Jesus. And why I want to run to Hulu or to any other distraction, God still really does meet me in my pain in my tribulation, in my suffering. And to name it for what it is, to name those false securities for what they are, helps rob them of the power that they hold over us. And I promise you, Jesus won't be surprised when you confess those to him. That's why he came. <laughs> he came knowing the burdens we bear, and he will meet us there. Finally, let's look to David. First words, preserve me, O God. How often do we not have because we're not asking? How often is the Lord more really ready to hear than we are to ask and more willing to give than we either desire or deserve? That is who our God is. So I encourage you, ask the Spirit of God to give you strength to meet you in the hardship, in the suffering, in the good, in the bad. He will meet us there. Friends, in Christ, we really do have a beautiful inheritance. And it's important to remember, who receives an inheritance? A child, a son, a daughter. Christ has brought us into his family. What Christ is eternally by nature as the son of God, we are invited to partake in his life by grace through faith. 
That is our inheritance. He is our inheritance. And why did he endure when he was here on earth? St. Paul says, because of the joy set before him. So if you remember nothing else from this sermon, remember the words of our Christ, our Savior, who said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen.